Okay, so the main question that we're going to raise to kick things off is what does it mean to be part of a team? What does it mean to be part of a team? Just think about just kind of your own life and maybe you were a part of band or maybe you were part of an archery club, maybe an art club, maybe you, you did sports. Um, I know I coached baseball for a number of years and I can tell you the teams that we really enjoyed being on and the teams that did well weren't necessarily the most talented teams. It's the teams that were able to work together and to recognize their role. I used to love this hearing this from my players when I would tell a player, even a very talented player, to go out and play a position that wasn't their preferred position if to hear these words, yes, coach, I love that. Yes, coach. And those are the players that just really would fill my heart with joy that I could tell them to go. I remember a particular player, it didn't matter where I put him in the lineup, didn't matter where I asked him to go play, it, would all, it was always yes, coach. And, and that just made me, uh, one, he, he added to the team morale. It gave me flexibility because he could play anywhere in the field, but if I needed to, I could, I could move him, and I knew I wasn't going to get a big attitude. There were other players where, even though I'm like twice these kids' age, I'd be afraid to go up to a player and say, hey, could you hit at the bottom of the lineup today? Or, by the way, we're not going to start you today. I would just be worried about the attitude that I was going to get, and is this kid going to take off on me, or are they going to start kind of weaving poison amongst the other players? And so it's, it's good for us to think about, even as Christians, what does it mean to be part of a team? And I want to suggest to you that it actually should bring us great comfort to know that we're part of a team. So here's some of the questions that we're going to try to be answering. And really, this is what this whole class has been building towards. Uh, what does it mean to be part of, a, of the team whose mission is to carry out the Great Commission? You're all on a team if you've embraced Christ as your Savior. And the mission has been stated by our captain very clearly, and that is to go out and make disciples of all nations. And you're part of that team. What passages of, of, of Scripture remind us that we're not alone? Anything come to mind? What, remi what remind, reminds us that we're not alone? I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yeah, Jesus says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, right? And even in a statement of the Great Commission passage, he says, for lo, I am with you to the end of the ages. And he doesn't just tell Peter to go out alone. He tells all the disciples to go out and make disciples, right? And then he says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's going to comfort you and he's going to guide you into truth and he's going to remind you of me. So that's, that should give us great comfort. We're part of this team. We're not alone. We have a captain, Jesus Christ, and he's the all-star. Uh, let me ask you another question. What positions do pastors play? What role does a pastor play on the team? Yeah, we're kind of coaches, right? Shepherds. I love what John MacArthur said last year at the Shepherds Conference. He says, we're third-level galley slaves. We should be way down on the bottom. We're rowing on your behalf trying to help the body of Christ move forward. We're trying to equip you so that you can go out and do the work of the ministry. Uh, part of, one of my main roles is just to serve and to help all of you 
just do the very best you can in the position that God has given you. If I'm thinking rightly, that's part of what I should be doing. I should, and I should be your slave. And as we look at the passage in, in 1 Corinthians 3 this morning, I'm actually owned by you. You own me, right? And so you guys should take advantage in the best sense of the term of your pastors, and you should use your pastors. We do have a role to play. Um, and then we know the outcome of the game. We know that we're going to win. This should encourage us. And, and one of the questions I want you to be asking this morning is, what is your position on the team? What is your role? And what are the roles, by the way, that are available to you? Is your role <clears throat> uh, to come alongside and encourage? Is your role to pray? Is your role to give? Is your role <clears throat> to... There, there's lots of things, and we're going to talk about those this morning. Is your role to stand up on a corner and preach and proclaim and announce the gospel? It might be. But everybody has a role. Everybody's part of the team. And so we're going to spend some time talking about that team concept this morning. Uh, you are not alone is the big thesis of this class. We want you to recognize that you are together, that we're together. So we're going to be talking about the gospel group, i.e. the church this morning. And then next week, we're going to talk about going uh, with God and the gospel group. So we're going to try to do a little bit of pre-training this morning. Next week, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about what we're going to do February 22nd uh, with our outreach. So, But let's open up to 1 Corinthians 3. This is our main text this morning that we're going to spend some time in. Is it possible, Brian, to, can I get the lights a little higher? My old man eyes... I wrote in some weird ink here, and I'm not seeing my notes very well. If I could just get a little more light. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 3, we've come right out of a, a text where Paul is distinguishing between the natural man and the spiritual man. And the natural man does not even receive the things of the Spirit of God, First chapter 2, verse 14. They're foolishness to him, nor can he even know them. But then when we get to chapter three, verse one, he says, but I brethren, so he's clearly talking to brothers and sisters in Christ. He's going to be talking to them in these first four verses about the problem when we try to build the team around one fallen player. And he's, he's basically suggesting that if you try to build the team around one fallen player, that's just not a good plan. Later, he's going to talk about the foundation of Christ. But if, if we try to build our whole team around Milton Vincent, or we want to build the whole team around Mike Berry. We want to build it around John MacArthur, that everything's about John Piper. Paul's going to suggest here that's just a bad plan. And the Corinthian church had actually given in to this bad plan. So let's look at verse 1. I, brethren, so he's talking to Christians, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, even though he's talked about the spiritual man above him, they are spiritually awake, but I couldn't speak to you that way. Uh, but as to carnal, fleshly, as to babes in Christ. Now they are in Christ. We're talking about Christians, but these are now, these are babies in Christ. So let's ask ourselves a question before we move on. What, what would constitute a baby in Christ? Is this somebody who's still off getting drunk and just, They've proclaimed Christ, but they're just laying in a gutter every Saturday night. 
Is this someone who's still giving themselves over to weekly fornication? Is this someone that's just in all kinds of aberrant sin unrepentantly? No, that would be the natural man of the previous chapter. These babes in Christ actually care about spiritual things. They care about the progress of the church. They care about ministry, but let's see what makes them babes in Christ. Verse 2, I fed you with milk, not with solid food. He's not using milk the way Peter does in 1 Peter chapter 2. Here he's talking about that they should be able to get greater substance of the gospel, but he still has to kind of talk to them about things like envy and jealousy. He shouldn't be having to talk to them about that. For until now, you were not able to receive it. Even now, you're not able So there's something blocking their reception of the gospel. Verse 3, for you are still fleshly. That's what's blocking the pipe. For where there are envy, strife, divisions among you, you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? And when one says, I am of of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? So what's clogging up the gospel pipe? What's keeping these people from going from milk to meat and being more effective in the game plan that is the Great Commission? It's the fact that they're having envy and divisions, not about core doctrinal issues, mind you, like we have in Galatians. Paul's not shy to talk about doctrinal teaching issues that will really divide, should divide people. He's talking about people that are really on the same team, but now we've become fans of personalities. Apollos, Paul are two of the people that he brings to mind. And we can imagine, I'm kind of, I'm imagining here, so that there, there's a little bit of suspect to what I'm about ready to say. It could be that because Paul, Apollos was quite the orator, Um, We know that he was quite a spokesman, that perhaps some people really loved his preaching because he had some power and gusto in his preaching. Whereas Paul admits in other places that he was somewhat weak in his proclamation, not in his content, but perhaps in his delivery. We know, looking at the content just in Scripture, that Paul's content's amazing. In fact, when it's in Scripture, it's inspired. Um, but it could be that Paul was somewhat weak in his presentation, whereas Apollos was very strong in his presentation. And so people are starting to divide. You know, there's a, some people are listening to Apollos' podcast. Other people are listening to Paul's podcast. And then when they come and gather together in church, there's somewhat of a division between who they, who they prefer. And so, again, the point here seems to be that building the team around one fallen person we're not talking about christ here one fallen person is not a good game plan let's just make some applications here we always as christians need to remember that the church is founded on jesus christ not on one particular man or woman of god if we build if we put all of our stock in joshua harris for instance and then joshua harris somewhere down the line decides I don't buy this anymore. We're in trouble, right? If we put all of our stock in in one particular teacher and then when they start to cave, then all of a sudden our faith is is shaken and shattered. 
I'm not saying that when a man or woman of God stumbles and falls that that doesn't have an impact on the church. It's always going to. But we want to make sure that we're founded first and foremost on Christ. Um, and, and we're making a big deal about this. Let me say one other thing is I've noticed over the years that one of the challenges in the church amongst what I would say would, in a lot of ways, we would think of them as mature believers. I'm talking about the people who love to evangelize. I'm talking about the people that are going out doing cold call evangelism on the street, who love street preaching, who love to go out and talk to unbelievers. These are people that visually would look like the most mature people in the church. And yet, I've been in the ministry since 1998. I've been a Christian for about 30-something years now. I've noticed a pattern over the years that the people sometimes that are the most outgoing when it comes to evangelism are not necessarily the most mature people in Christ. And we have to be very careful about assuming that the visual, the people that seem visually the most mature are in actuality the most mature. Paul has given us a warning here that if you were to, to, to just before Paul tells us what carnality is, think, what is he talking about? What are the carnal people? Well, it's the people that are still falling over and over again into this sin and that sin. Really, he's talking about people who are, who are, are very excited about Paul and Apollos. They're excited about preaching. They seem to be excited about the gospel. They seem to be excited about ministry. But what makes them carnal and therefore babes in Christ is the fact that they're picking one person over another because of personality, not because of doctrine. I've been a, I've been a part of a lot of different evangelism ministries with a lot of different approaches. And it seems like time and time again, it's not too long before you get rolling in an evangelism ministry where suddenly something rises up where there's a conflict amongst the evangelists. And it normally will have to do with something like a person. I like Ray Comfort's approach. I like this person's approach. Um, or it'll have to do with a track. Like, I like these kinds of tracks. Well, I like these kinds of tracks. Now, we're not talking about content. If we got bad content, that's got to be corrected. But a lot of times it's not just content. It's, it's people, they'll learn a certain system or they'll develop a relationship through their podcast with a personality, and then they begin to judge everything else based upon that. I went to an evangelism conference years and years ago with some people and brought them out, and, and, um, and I felt like, I want to be careful how I say this, um, there, was a, there was a time at which I was, I was texting back um, to our pastor at the time. I said, I feel like I'm, I'm with adults, but I feel like I'm with junior high students. The way the infighting amongst them about methods of evangelism. I'm like, this is <laughs> this is supposed to be this is the Great Commission, folks. And yet I felt like I'm 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 trying to settle disputes between junior hires. But there's I think there's a good reason for that, and that's because the Great Commission's a big deal, right? For people to get saved and born again is a big deal. And so it's not it's not shocking to me that the devil attacks when people start growing in their own grazing on the gospel and they start getting excited about uh, preaching and announcing Christ, it's not surprising at all that the devil's going to start attacking that and cause infighting. And so we always need to be aware of his devices. 
And so that's one of the reasons why I think it's so important for us to figure out our position on the team. Because here's what happens. God gives you a position on a team. Let's say your position, I'll just use myself as an example. Let's say your position is preacher. You're the guy that just goes out and loves to preach and you're preaching. Well, I just want to say I've known a lot of open air preachers over the years. And unfortunately, I've known a lot of arrogant open air preachers over the years who are very arrogant and feel like if you're not doing exactly what they're doing, then something's wrong with you. That's one position on the team, folks. And if I understand what Paul says here in this context, you didn't put yourself in that position. The Lord put you in that position. It's a gift and you're there to serve other people. So there's no reason to get arrogant just because you stand up on a corner and make a fool of yourself, right? Um, On the other hand, I've seen other people who their gifting is is they love to come in and and offer a bowl of soup and develop a long-term relationship with someone and just keep giving them the gospel. And then they'll run across an open-air preacher and they'll be like, that's offensive, Oh, man, I would never do that. You're driving people away from Christ. We need to sit down and have a bowl of soup with someone and develop a relationship with them over two years. And then that's how people come to know Christ. I want to say to you, I want to suggest to you that that may be your position on the team and the Lord may be using you in that way, but that's not the only position on the team. In fact, if you were to do a word study and to, and to look at the methods of evangelism and great commissioning throughout the Bible. What are the, the, some of the most prominent words that we see in the New Testament when it comes to great commissioning and evangelism? Do we see, how much do we see share the gospel in the New Testament? Let's go out and share the gospel. Anybody know how many times you see it in the Bible? Zero. Doesn't happen. You do see share in the gospel, meaning give money for the proclamation of the gospel. The word share is used as helping to provide financial support. Um, But the idea of going out and just like, I'm going to share the gospel, like I'm going to share a piece of bread with somebody, it doesn't occur. I'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad term, but I am going to send you an article next week to challenge that terminology because in missions, Sharing the gospel has actually become a problem when we translate that American idea out into other cultures. Here's the most prominent terms that we see when it comes to great commissioning. Announce, herald, preach. Preach, announce, and herald. Those are the number one terms. And when when the Bible is using the word preach or announce or heralding, it's not the idea of let's just kind of go into a back corner and kind of have a little private conversation. Now, I do believe that is a very important means of evangelism. It's what Philip did with the Ethiopian eunuch, right? All of a sudden, Philip just kind of like appears. I'm not sure how that happens. He just kind of shows up on the scene. Here's a guy reading from the book of Isaiah. Notice he has no relationship with the guy. He just walks up and says, hey, what are you reading? I'm reading Isaiah. You need somebody to help you to figure that out? Sure, come on up. That's it. That's about the, the that's about the extent of the relationship building with the Ethiopian unit. It gets up, starts explaining to him the book of Isaiah. We have no idea how long they're talking, but let's say by Middle Eastern standards that they're talking for four hours, right? They're riding along in their chariot, having a good time talking about Isaiah. All of a sudden he says, what prevents me from being baptized? We're talking about, there's, it doesn't go on for th- three, four, five days. 
whatever relationship building had happened, it happened in one day, and this guy gets born again. Other times, there's going to be long-term relationships. Uh, Long, uh, who we have his track in the back. He's the guy that came to know Christ recently, right? Um, That was going out. um, He's actually was evangelizing with us at UCR before he was saved, right? Um, This is his track. I was meeting with him um, for coffee or tacos for over a year before he placed his faith in Christ. He was coming to my Sunday school the year before that. Um, So for two years, this was a two-year relationship of him coming to church, coming to Sunday school, us meeting every other week, him actually going out to UCR, hearing the preaching of the word while he's personally passing out tracts. And then at East Coast Bagel about four weeks ago, he says, I'm ready to receive Christ. Right, so so the Lord does that type of stuff, right? Um, but here's what I wasn't doing with Long. I wasn't just having tacos with him just to talk about tacos and baseball, right, for two years. I was meeting with Long to answer his questions about Jesus Christ. And we were constantly talking about Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. What kind of a, what kind of questions do you have about the Bible? We, we answered, there was just multiple of questions, lots of things. Now, that's one role, okay? So let's, let's, let's get back to the text. So we don't want to build the team on just one person, right? One, one position. You can't, have, you can't have all nine players playing at the shortstop position, there's a lot of other positions out there, and, and so you need to have more than that. <clears throat> let's, look at, um, let's look at verse 5 uh, to 9. Um, we work with God in different roles, I think is Paul's point. For then, who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers? Now, that sounds like a very religious word to us, but that just means servants. We could even say slaves right ministers through whom you believed as the lord gave to each one it's really the lord that's giving i planted apollos watered but god gave the increase so then neither is he who plants is anything nor is he who waters anything but god who gives the increase now he who plants and he who waters are one and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Let's go. Let's break apart a couple of these ideas here. Paul is admitting that, first of all, he's just a servant. He has a role. Apollos had a role. But ultimately, we're all depending upon God to bring the increase. I've got a role. You've got a role. We've got different positions right here in this room. And there's every reason for us to to magnify one another's roles and not to magnify our own role, to, to look at the roles that God is playing and and to and to be grateful and to and to understand that really it's the Lord that's doing all of this. I kind of joke. I'll, I'll sometimes joke around about how that I go out and preach the gospel and it just doesn't seem like the Lord is bringing a lot of conversions. It seems like for whatever reason for me, they happen slow. And then, but Carlos, Pastor Carlos falls out of bed and people get saved, <laughs> right? He's just, the Lord puts him in the right place at the right time. And, but that's just what the Lord's doing. It's like, you know, Carlos just happens to be here. People come running into the church. And he's like, I want to be born again. And he's like, okay, let's pray. And there you go. 
And, um, but that's just the way the Lord works. And it's, it's him who's doing the increase. We have different roles. We're watering and so on and so forth. But notice in verse 8, now he who plants and he who waters are one. All right, so we're, there's this unity to the team. We need to recognize, not be jealous of methods or means or even fruit. Just rejoice with one another because we're on one team. Nevertheless, each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So we are part of one team and we rejoice in what the Lord's doing. At the same time, the Bible acknowledges that we will each individually receive our own reward as we faithfully use the gifts that God has given us. All right. So the Lord has led you to be your more intent in prayer. Maybe you're like Lady Huntington back in the 1700s. I don't know if those of you guys are familiar with the Great Awakening. Um, You have Whitfield and Wesley, and these people are going everywhere. And if you read the literature, there's this one person that keeps popping up in all of their letters. It's Lady Huntington. Everybody's like, well, who's Lady Huntington? She's just a rich, wealthy lady who keeps giving money away so that the gospel can be preached. And so she's funding all of these, um, these trips. And so that's her role to get Whitfield over to the Americas or to get Wesley here or there. And the Lord uses her money to get them to go places they could not have afforded to go on their own. And so maybe your role is giving. There's a a gentleman here at this church. I won't even mention his name because he doesn't like to be mentioned. But whenever any of our missionaries comes through, I've I've been over here where he just he'll pull out this big wad of hundred dollar bills and flip out five or six bills and hand it to me. And I'm like, I, I'm not supposed to be taking money. So we have to take pictures because I'm, I'm just supposed to stay accountable. And then we give the money to the missionary. This guy's just always giving to our missionaries. He's always giving. He'll give vehicles. He'll give money. Um, and, and, and you probably don't even know his name. And if I were to ask him to come out February 22nd to go do cold call evangelism, I can pretty much tell you what the answer would be. He'd be like, I'm scared to death to come to church sometimes. (laughs) You know, he just sits in the back and stays silent, but he loves Jesus Christ. He's praying for the gospel. He gives like nobody's business. Um, And so that's his role, right? Um, And I I know that he he does open up his mouth for Christ, um, but it's in very, very private ways. Um, So, but the Lord gives the increase. We're going to each get our own reward. And then notice verse nine, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. Now, the we there is actually Paul talking about him and Apollos and the preachers, right? We're the fellow workers of God. He's really the one that's doing it. We're just kind of coming alongside of him. We're on his team and you're the building. You're the product. So he's kind of shifting the image a little bit. But we could all, we could, we could, I think we could legitimately shift the image as well that there's a sense in which every one of us in this room are God's fellow workers. We have a role to play, but we just come alongside on his team. Now, finally, I got to hurry up here. Verse 10 and 11, uh, or yeah, according to the grace which God was, has given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid a foundation and another builds on it, but let him... Uh, let each one take heed how he builds on it, for no other foundation can be laid than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So what Paul's not saying is it doesn't matter how you build. 
He's not saying, hey, as long as you're out there doing something, it doesn't matter if the gospel's right, if it's centered on Christ. You know, if, if the gospel's more, a little bit works-oriented, that's okay. If you want to throw in a little circumcision there, that's all right. Faith works. Let's not divide over those issues. Let's just kind of, we're all on one team. That's clearly not what he's saying. Okay, so let's just get this brass tacks. Jesus Christ is the only foundation. It's by him alone. We graze on Christ, like we were talking about last week. We preach Christ. We announce the good news of Jesus Christ, but we recognize that we're part of one team, and he's the one that's ultimately bringing the increase. So in light of that one foundation, let's talk a little bit about your reading. I don't know how many of you have been able to actually read the uh, the assigned reading. We are, this is kind of a soft a homework class. We don't come up and humiliate people that haven't done their homework. But the reason we want you to read this material is because this is awesome killer material. This is going to help you with your evangelism. This class around the wicket gate, um, Spurgeon in very simple terms just lays out the gospel for us so that we can feed on it. But I want to suggest to you that this is a great resource to just to talk to people about Christ and to evangelize them. Um, You know, you can do, sometimes you might do the Philip approach and you you get an Ethiopian eunuch and and they they come to know Christ in three or four hours. Most of the time you're going to preach the gospel and then you're going to meet up with someone who's interested. And it may take months, it might take years. But this is a resource that I think will help you cut to the chase to get somebody right to Christ to help them see what does it really mean to believe in Christ alone. And so I'm going to I'm going to flip through this fast. But I would encourage everybody here to read this entire book and digest it. And you can buy these for cheap and use them in your own evangelism to distribute to people or even better meet up with someone Uh you know, one of my philosophies is, is if I invite somebody to meet with me and they're willing to meet with me and start going through a book like this, then as long as this may sound like a crass analogy, but I think it's biblical, but as long as the fish is still on the line, I'm going to keep reeling, right? So they say they want to meet one time and we meet. And then as soon as the meeting's over, Hey, so you want to meet next week? Yeah. Okay. So we meet next week. And as long as that person keeps saying yes, I'm going to keep meeting with them till kingdom come, right? As long as it's still, I still feel something. Now I've met, there's guys I've met with before where they met with me four or five, six times, and then they stopped returning my calls. All right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to weep about that. I might, you know, yeah, I'm sad. I want them to keep meeting, but the Lord is the one that brings the increase. Maybe there that fruit's not ready to fall yet, but um, if the Lord does give you somebody that the Lord puts into your in, in, into your pathway, they want to keep meeting. Do what you can. Last night, um, there's a a fellow. I'll, I won't mention the name because this will go out on the internet. So there's a fellow that we've gotten to know at a local restaurant, and. Um, and he actually offered to come over to our house and show us how to make this food that we love. And we're like, really? You'll really do that? Sure. So he came over and brought his brand new bride. He just married in December and and stuck around. And before you know it, we're doing like marital counseling with this unbelieving couple for four hours. And 
And then this, this gal starts texting Katie and last night she's just talking about how homesick she is and stuff like that. Katie like drives over to her house and brings her a burger and just hangs out with her for about 45 minutes. That's the gospel right there, baby. And, and so there's something, so there's Katie's got something on the line right there. She's a good fisherman, by the way. And, and so she's got, she feels a tug. And so she's responding these texts and she's, just trying to love on this gal. This isn't like a big hard sell, but they, they know I'm a pastor. She's a pastor's wife. They know we're Christians. He's uh, Islamic. She's like quasi-Roman Catholic, whatever that means. And um, and here we go, you know, so we're just kind of throwing it out. Um, so let's let's just run through a couple ideas here. As, as, you, as you go through around the wicket gate, uh, your homework about three weeks ago was the first four chapters. The first chapter is basically awakening is good, but that doesn't equal salvation. So somebody can start to get awakened and their conscience can start to plague their mind. They can hear about Christ and be like, yeah, boy, I have an appreciation for Christ. Or yes, I really feel bad about my sin, but that doesn't mean a person's born again. So just because someone says, I have an appreciation for Jesus, that doesn't mean they're born again. So the, the first chapter is about awakening. You've got that little boy who had dropped a shilling into the grate. And he's like, there it went, it went right down there. Oh, and he's just sitting there like for hours talking about how he lost it. He went right down there. There's the shilling. <laughs> I can't do it like the guy on uh, Audible. But um, anyway, so, so the idea is someone can be awakened, but that doesn't equal salvation. Let's see if I, so there's the little boy and you can sit there and talk about the fact that you're lost, right? But that doesn't bring you any hope. Somebody can lose their wallet and they can tell us everything that's in their wallet. And we can say, oh, that's great that you know everything that was in your wallet. That doesn't help them. They don't want to just know that they're lost. They want to find their wallet. And, and we don't want to just bring people to the point of knowing they're lost. We want them to get found. And so it's good that they're awakened, but that does not equal salvation. That's very important as we're talking to kids who grow up in the church. You have kids that can tell you all of the facts of the gospel, right? You, you, you question them and they can recite to you everything perfectly. Doesn't mean they're born again, right? They might actually feel the conviction of sin. Man, I, I'm a sinner. I, I, I find myself going back again and again to this sin but that doesn't necessarily mean they're born again. The second chapter, he talks about what does it really mean to cling to Christ? It's simple faith. This is a picture. That's one of the reasons why I love this book. There's some really good pictures that, that demonstrate the gospel. This little girl is just clinging to a fireman. She, a person can sit up in bed and be like, oh, I'm so glad I'm awake. My house is burning down, but I'm glad I'm awake. That's not enough. You cling to Christ. It's not, you don't have the ability, biblically speaking, to run out of the house yourself. You're actually tied to the bed by your sin. But Christ comes in, cuts the ties, and then you just cling to him and Jesus carries you out, just like this little girl. And so that's what we want to point people to Christ. It's simple faith, simple faith alone in Christ. Then um, the third chapter deals with this idea and that is, it's not just the plan of salvation. It's actually hiding ourselves in Christ. This man is sitting down looking at plans to build a house out in the rain. 
He's looking at his plans like, oh, yes, that's wonderful. These are wonderful plans. Spurgeon uses the example that a doctor um, gave uh, a man a prescription for his illness. And the man took the prescription and he ate it. And then he came back to the missionary and he wasn't any better. And the missionary said, what did you do with the prescription I gave you? He says, well, I ate it right down. So no, 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 it's not the plan of the prescription. It's carrying out the plan that will save you. That's an amazing analogy. So you can know the plan of salvation. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. He was raised from the dead. I just placed my faith in him. Okay, you can recite that all day long. You can know the plan, but have you actually stepped out onto Christ for yourself? Have you taken the prescription? The bird here is going to hide himself in the rock of Christ. The bird will get into the rock. Any bird that a bird can be flying around the rock and say, yes, I can get safety right there, but I'm going to fly around and just look at that little hole. The hawk comes and takes him. You can know where to go, but if you're flying outside of Christ and not really embracing Christ for yourself, that he died on the cross for your sins. Yes, you are a sinner, but it's not just contemplating how evil you are. It's getting inside of Christ and believing that he loves sinners. That if we simply place our faith in Christ alone, he is eager to save us and to hide us from the wrath to come. And so these are just some, you know, some good analogies. Chapter four uh, talks about, again, a re- an iteration of how simple faith is. He uses the story of a Sunday school teacher offering a watch saying, I'll give this to you freely, whoever wants to take it, but nobody would take it because they didn't think he was serious, except for one boy who wasn't all that smart. He says, yes, I'll take it. And then the teacher let him have this really super expensive watch. And all the other kids are befuddled, like, we didn't think you meant it. See, there you go. And no, I did mean it. And, and, and Christ really is offered to us freely. But many people stand away and say, well, it can't, that really can't be. It can't be that free. And then Spurgeon uses this analogy about the orphanage that they were running through their church. He goes, you know, we don't ever have to line up and do fountain drill. We don't have to teach the kids how to drink water out of the fountain. They just walk over when they're thirsty and they get a drink. And it's that simple. You come to Christ. He offers forgiveness of sins. He died on the cross for you. If you just come to him to quench your spiritual thirst, he'll do that for you. Uh, It's that simple, but we think it's complicated And so we stay away from Christ. These are little stories and analogies that each one of these chapters, he'll pick on one or two verses and he'll just drill down into that verse and then give you a nice little analogy for yourself, but also for your own evangelism. I've been using a number of these stories as I talk to people about Christ. Um, So look at chapter five, six, seven, and eight on your own. Um, chapter five is basically about just the willingness to just let go and fall to Christ. Chapter six is about the idea. If you're having trouble, if you have intellectual doubts, what do you do? Do you just stare at the gate like a dumb cow? No, you start investigating. You read about Christ. You do study. Um, chapter seven, he takes the whole chapter just to contemplate. What does it really mean that Christ was crucified, that by his stripes we are healed? And he investigates just the crucifixion of Christ. And then chapter eight, he talks about what is it? What's one of the key things that actually keeps people away from Christ? It's an unwillingness to, to, to give up sin is, is that they love their sin 
and and it's kind of like they've bought a ticket to go to America, but they want to stay and and work in their shop in Britain. Well, if you've got a ticket to get on the boat, you can't stay in Britain and go to America simultaneously. If Christ came to save sinners from sins, <clears throat> we can't just say, oh, I love my sin, but I want to embrace Christ. And that's a work <clears throat> that the Holy Spirit does. And so that just gives you an overview. <clears throat> you can look at the book for free if you don't want to buy it. You can buy it. I encourage you to buy several copies, actually, <clears throat> and give them away. Let's talk lastly about um, what we're going to do February 22nd. So February 22nd is our outreach. We're going to meet right here at 9 o'clock. And we're going to pair you up with some experienced evangelists. I know Molly's volunteered. I know Jaime's volunteered. Um, I think we'll have some others. I know Rosemary, maybe uh, Rick and Aviana. So uh, basically what we mean by them being your trainers is just they're going to go out with you. And um, and all you have to do, let's see. Justice, why don't you come up here? Here's... Here's all you have to do. Justice is going to play the role of the trainee. And so you can't hear his words, but in his head, he's praying. All right, so let's go. So we're going to walk. Hey, did you get one of these? Would you like to have that? Okay, God bless you. Okay, that's all you got to do. What Justice just did, let's everybody give Justice a hand. <clears throat> that's all you have to do. If you come out on tw- on the 22nd, You'll just walk with me or one of our other experienced evangelists. And in your head, you're just going to be praying. That's all you do. And then the other person will use the track. We've put several tracks in the back. Not that you're actually bound to those, but we would really like you to read as many of them as possible and choose one or two that you want to use. Uh, the reason I'd like you to choose one or two is, is so that you can really get familiar with the testimony or the story. This is just one way to evangelize. I don't want anybody to think I'm saying this is the only way to evangelize. If you don't do it my way, then shame on you. All right. This is one way to evangelize. One of the reasons why I like evangelizing using testimony tracks is because I just don't find these thrown on the ground. I'm not seeing them in the whole time we've been going out to UCR. I've seen two on the ground. That's just befuddling to me because when I've used other types of tracks in the, in the past that kind of look like religious gospel tracks, they get thrown on the ground all the time. When I use these story testimony tracks that have the full gospel in it, people take them and they read them. I've seen people sit and just read at length. Sometimes you think that they won't sit down and read something real long, like this interesting narrative of uh, Aluda Equiano. I've seen people sit down and read this whole thing. This thing is like a 45-minute sermon, basically. This is his testimony in chapter 10 of his narrative. And, and so get familiar with one of these tracks, right? And then we're going to pair you up with somebody. And if you're the trainer or if you feel like, hey, I think I can do this. All you have to really do is just walk up and say, hey, did you get one of uh, Kristen's stories? Or, hey, did you get one of Alvin's stories? And then if you know it well enough, if they stop and seem to be interested, then you can actually start telling their story and try to get to Christ as, as fast as possible. It's not just so that they'll know who Alvin Davis is and be like, hey, yeah, I know Alvin Davis. I know an ex-Major League Baseball player. Isn't that cool? That's not why we're doing this, right? <clears throat> we're putting Alvin's story out because Alvin's got a really neat testimony and we want them to introduce them to Christ. And so so I'll offer them this pamphlet. If they're not interested at all, I just walk away. And then I've left them with something that they can read and they all have information about Cornerstone on them. 
That's the other thing I like about these pamphlets is if anybody wants to contact Cornerstone, they want to get a, back a hold with us, they want to show up to church, they can. Um, so take a look at the tracks. Uh, we'll do more next week to just kind of put on display. There's certain things that I like to do that will be better ensure that people actually take the track. And then sometimes there's a way that I like to kind of turn the, the conversation to Christ. And um, and then there's also some things that you can do if a person seems interested and they do want to follow up. How do you actually talk to them about meeting again and, and so on and so forth? Does that make sense? If you can't come February 22nd, I'd love to see everybody involved in some way. The first way you can be involved is you can set your timer. And at 9 o'clock on February 22nd, your timer goes off. And here's all you have to do. Lord, I just pray for the team as they head out today that you'd fill everybody with the spirit and do your work. Amen. That's all you got to do. Right? That took me, what, five seconds. Okay, so everybody, I want everybody to participate in at least that way. I'd love to see a ton, I'd love to see 50, 60 of us out here on the, 20, on the 22nd. And we're not going to take up your whole day. It's going to be a two-hour event. We're going to get together. We're going to pray. We're going to distribute tracks. We're going to go to the park, Dollar Tree, and if time, we're going to go to uh, University Village. <clears throat> Again, all you have to do is walk, pray, and then if you want to say something, that's fine. If you don't want to say anything, nobody's going to shame you. If you just want to walk up and like just be like Lady Huntington and just hand us some money to make more tracks, that's okay. I'll show you who to give money to. Don't give it to me. All right, any final questions? I do have to pray. Awesome. That's great. Yeah, Amazon track idea. So Rosemary is saying that she keeps tracks by her door whenever Amazon comes. She just pulls one out. I, I've just gotten in the habit. This has only been over the past year. I, I just always have something in my back pocket. I, and I, the few times I haven't, I've walked, there's times where I've just walked out to the mailbox without something in my pocket. And sure enough, somebody comes by and I'm like, reach in, there's nothing there. I'm just like, oh man. But I can, I can still talk to them, but it's just like, it's a good way to get into a conversation with people. And then I have like my Alvin Davis cards in my front pocket. It's one of the reasons if you ever buy me a shirt, always give me a shirt with a pocket, right? All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity for us to be part of the Great Commission and to put us on the team. Help us not to be intimidated. Uh, we're a member and we have different roles <clears throat> and we don't have to feel guilty if we're not fulfilling the role of a pastor. Um, you've given us our role and um, so help us to be a part of the team. Fill us with your spirit this week. In Christ's name we pray, amen.